0: Teaching dance to boys and men in prison sounds like a crazy idea, but my guest today did it for 25 years in New York prisons. She wrote a book about it called Flight, the Dance of Freedom, and today she's going to talk about that journey. Come on, let's do a background check on Susan Slotnik. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of
1: course I have. Everyone
0: does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back, it, sh- it should pay you back. back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go go ahead, check my background. My name is J. Dan Gumm, and this is background check you already know let's go you can check my background i'm a forgiven felon so tell them that i won't back down no you can bet i won't live in regret it's
1: time to earn some respect you are tuning in to background check
0: hey everyone welcome to background check podcast i'm your host jaydan gum and as always this podcast is brought to you by forgiven felons helping people with the past realize their future. For more information on Forgiven Felons and what we do, you can check us out on the web, ForgivenFelons.org. If your company, organization, or just you want to sponsor an episode or the whole show, let us know. We can give you a shout out as well. But especially if you have a loved one or a friend or family that is uh, incarcerated and they need a place to parole to, please go to the website on the House page, print out the application, send it to them, and we'll take it from there. All right. Listen, I know every episode I say is my favorite episode, but I'm telling you, this lady that we have on the show today has become my new hero. Her name is Susan Slotnick, and she is just one of the most incredible women I've met. For the past 25 years, she's gone behind the walls of New York prisons, five years teaching boys dance in prison, and then the rest teaching men She's got a book called Flight, The Dance of Freedom. There's documentaries about her that have uh, won film festival first place. I mean, just incredible, incredible lady. You're going to enjoy the show today. Uh, I'm looking. I'm watching a video right now. You can't hear it because I muted it. But I'm watching a video of one of the classes of men that she taught and what they're doing and they're dancing. And it's just incredible. We have some candid conversations and and it's just it it was amazing i love it so let's get to it but listen you're going to want to go to the show page as well and look at some of the paintings that she's done based on her prison ministry or her prison uh volunteering uh she's got and then i'm going to have videos the same video i'm watching you want to see this it's amazing to watch these inmates express themselves through dance it's incredible so here we go. Don't want to wait any longer. So here we go. Here's my interview with Susan. Susan Slotnick, welcome to Background Check Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for you, having me.
0: You are welcome and uh first of all, uh, I've read a little bit of your book. I'm going to let you share a little bit about yourself in just a second, but I want to I read a little bit of your book and I can't wait to read the rest. Uh and then so tell I'm intrigued because I've never heard of you before, but I'm mostly involved in the Texas prisons. And so when I heard about you and what you do, I was just amazed. And then the more I read about it and the more I already know about how the arts affect our our psyche, our mentality, and, and how they benefit people incarcerated, um, the more I just have grown to appreciate what you do now. So tell us a little bit about it, cause you've been doing it for 25 years. So tell us a little bit about who you are and then what you do with uh, your company. And and then we'll get into just a little bit of the backstory in the book and talk about some other things.
1: Well, as you mentioned, my name is Susan Slotnick. I live in New York state. I grew up as a, probably con- would have been considered an upper middle class woman, from Westchester County in New York, but I had a very difficult childhood, all outlined in my book. My mother was a borderline personality. My father was an autistic savant, a very unusual upbringing. And I went through a lot of adversity growing up and also a lot of awareness of what was going on racially in my school and how black people were treated. And so I, Got very interested at a very early age in social justice. And then I was very interested in dance, although I never was disciplined enough as a child or together enough psychologically to really trained to become a dancer but later in life i had a dance school and i went back to classes and learned a great deal after it was too late for me personally to have a performing career and all the time i would think where do people need to feel free and ha- hear beautiful music and lift their arms to a swell of music which is almost like a prayer and then i would yeah. think it must, it could happen in a prison. Now I had a dance school with more boys than girls. I was kind of well known for that, which is very unusual. And I worked very well with males, especially the type of dancing I taught, which was very physical, very ballistic. So I started out in a boys' prison, which completely changed my perception of everything. Oh, bad. bet. Being with those boys. And I was with those boys for five years. They were wonderful. But when you say boys,
0: you're talking about juveniles, right?
1: Juveniles from 12 to 18. And as you know, as above, so below. So if the administration is good and cares about the men and the incarcerated population, good things can happen. So when the administration and the boys prison changed, the new superintendent decided it was gay for Mm. boys to dance in prison and throughout the program. Wow! I thought it was all over. But I tried after that to get into a men's prison, knowing, having spent five years with those boys, I knew the demographics, I knew the homes, I knew that they were also victims for the most part, as well as perpetrators. And I tried to get into a, an adult male prison, knowing that adult males are just grown up boys. It was the same demographic. And I found a deputy of programming who allowed the program to, to come in and the rest was history. I was there for another, I think, 13 years.
0: What made you decide when you got, we couldn't do the the boys anymore. A lot of people would just say, okay, this is not going to work. So what kept you going and what kept you thinking in your mind and your heart that this is going to work and that, that this is the way it needs to be. And I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep going.
1: Well, I was there for myself. I don't know if you're familiar with maslow's hierarchy of needs it's a pyramid you're shaking your head so for me i had a decent life i had a good family i had a wonderful husband i had a home i had everything i needed but i wasn't self-actualized in what i came into the world to do until i entered the boys prison so i wanted to go back not because I thought I had some great power to save souls. Sometimes the volunteers come in with that attitude. The men pick it up immediately. They don't like it. They don't want to be treated like the marginalized, downtrodden, pathetic people of the world. So if you come in with that savior complex, it doesn't always work. So I knew going in, I needed to go back to prison because that was my reaching Maslow's hierarchy of needs for myself. I came into the world. To dance with incarcerated men.
0: Wow. Wow. Now, you went through some things as a child. How did how did any of that trauma play against or for what you were doing now in the prisons?
1: Well, as I said, I was a victim, I think five or six times. It's all in my book of sexual abuse from men to varying degrees of severity. So I knew what it felt like to be mistreated. And as I said at the onset, most of the men in prison, believe it or not, when they finally told me their stories were victims of sexual abuse and other kinds of abuse. So abuse either opens your heart to bring empathy to the rest of the world or it closes your heart. And that is not only your decision, but the decision of the influences around you, the teachers, the people you met, your friends. So everything that happened to me from as early as I can remember made me want to heal other people in pain. I understood pain. I understood what pain felt like. And even though the kind of pain that I had suffered was entirely different than the black men from ghetto situations who were victims of institutionalized racism that we still see prevalent in the world lately we're hearing more about it they were victims in a very different way but we're so much about division now but truly a broken heart in one person and a broken heart in another links them in their brokenheartedness even if the way their hearts were broken were completely different So, so good yeah, well, I guess that's that's basically that's really good. Basically, it.
0: So, tell tell us what you do when you go into the prisons. What what do you? I mean, what type of dancing is it? What were the? Are the guys all receptive right at the beginning? How do you? How do you? Is it an open sign up or do you get to choose? Is it? How do that? How does it all work?
1: Well, there's an umbrella organization in New York State called Rehabilitation Through the Arts, and I was under the auspices of that organization. Okay. When I went in, well, basically everything that I've taught, and I've taught lots of different populations, is rooted in the philosophy of being present, rooted in mindfulness. So when I would go into the prison, well, I've got to backtrack. The men volunteered for the program, now, okay. I have to say that by the time a man in a prison is willing to dance in front of the general population to beautiful music showing emotional, emotional movement, he's already 995 rehabilitated. And I just yes. come in to put the icing on the cake.
0: I love so, that. I love that. You're so right. You're so right.
1: So the men who volunteered were the top tier of people who had been working on themselves. Basically, I would go in and I would tell them why I was there and I would tell them it was from me. So we got that cleared away right away that I wasn't there with any pretensions about saving souls. And I would start with the work on mindfulness or what I called work on attention. I was lucky enough for five years to have been in an esoteric uh, self-development group that was based on the Gurdjieff work. Have you ever heard of Gurdjieff? no. Well, most people haven't, but he was a mystic from the turn of the century who worked with people in Europe on self-development skills. Okay. He took Christianity, esoteric Christianity, esoteric Judaism, esoteric Buddhism, and Sufism, and he, he got to the nugget issue of what they all were and developed a program for Westerners to develop all those abilities. Okay. from all it, It's hard to explain. Yeah. So I would start with a Gurdjieff group. And then from the moment that I put on the music and taught them how to stand, they were they were in it. They were totally in it and they loved it. And I broke a lot of rules, which I can talk about now. Yeah, I yeah. worked with the same men sometimes for eight, nine, 10 years, sometimes once a week, sometimes if a show was coming up three or four times a week. And when they got out, and this is all in my book, 12 of them came to my house for breakfast right from the prison before they went to their parole officers. And I didn't know why they wanted to do this. And they said to me, this always makes me a little teary, but they said we wanted to be reborn into the world. Wow. And see first a woman who knew the man before Mm. we returned to families that were hoping the boy would come back.
0: Wow.
1: So they, I was the, portal with which they moved back into the world because I knew who they were today and what they had done with themselves. And, uh, it was wonderful. I would make these, this amazing breakfast and, wow. and they would leave. Wow. Into the world, It's all in my book. The whole I, thing. I,
0: I, uh, yeah. And, and I've, I've got the chance to read some of it. I can't read the, I can't wait to read the rest of it. And we're going to, we're going to have a link to the book on, on the show page as well. Uh, and I'm actually going to ask you some specific questions about some of the things in some, some of the chapters uh, in just a minute. So what was a typical you talk about doing the shows? What was a typical show? Were they inside the prisons or did y'all ever get a chance to go outside the prisons?
1: No, we never got to go out. And sadly, their families were never allowed to come. I was allowed to bring 20 guests. Okay. It was a full evening concert, like any professional dance company. By the time we did the performance, they had learned maybe seven or eight full length pieces. Wow. And performed and then took questions and answers. And the people that I go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Would it be an open call for general population or would it just be.
1: It was an open call. And the amazing thing was that sometimes one time we had a performance and the football field was just open. Oh, wow. You know, the big field because the winter had ended and I was told you're going to get very few men in here because they finally can go into the big yard and play ball. And do you know, at that show, we had 300 men.
0: Wow.
1: Show up for the show. And there were only 800 that men is... in the, in the facility.
0: Oh, wow. That's so good. That's so good, man. Uh, okay. And I'm sure you keep up with, I know you do. Cause you talk about in the book, uh, you keep up with a lot of the guys when they get out. Uh, what about any of the boys uh, that have all grown up? You know, because you weren't allowed to go in there anymore, but you spent what five years in there. So, what about some of them? Have you been able to watch them? Um, I know the trends. So, I, I because I, I I was an inmate, so I know, and we have two transitional houses, so we see them come out and we see the trends, the recidivism, we see it all. So, knowing that, I understand that some of them make it and some of them don't tell us a tell us a story about maybe one of the children that um that you ended up reconnecting with and maybe is is doing well
1: well i only know about two okay one person wrote the most magnificent poem about dance that's in the book and the night of the performance he's was very upset because one of the corrections officers would not let him go to the bathroom. And when they finally let him out of his cell, he punched the guy mm. and he went to the adult county jail. And I visited him there. He has been in and out of prison his whole life. I spoke with his parents when I published the book because I wanted to get their permission to publish the poem. Right. And they told me he, he's he been in and out. I wanted to get one of the boys to write something for the book or to say 20 years later right. what was the takeaway but they all had very ordinary names like um you know Mark Taylor or something right. like that and so it's when i searched them. them on facebook i only had one boy with a very unusual name and i searched for him i was just about to finish the book and i got a message on facebook 2 years after i tried to reach him Oh, And the the message is in my book. It's at the end of my book. Oh, my God, I think about you every day. I get this nostalgic feeling from the music we use. And he said, what was that song? The song about um, we're all stardust. And it was Woodstock, the song Woodstock, sung by that was at the Woodstock Festival, I think that song. And he said that that song had really transformed his life just the lyrics from it and he wrote something And my book ends with what he wrote so that's the story with them keeping in touch I have no idea where they are
0: and 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 I'm glad you answered that way because I was actually trying to lead you into that story because that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because it was very touching very touching um so okay so you have the book the book which is called
1: flight the dance of freedom
0: okay and then You've been also involved in uh, some documentaries, right? Yes. Tell us about those.
1: Well, first I want to say that anybody who's ambitious or wants to be famous or wants to get money does not go and do their best work in a prison facility. That's
0: right. That's right. (laughs) So
1: I never expected any of the acclaim that has come from that. There were different things on Facebook that were written about me and some things that were written. There were some newspaper articles locally that were on the internet. And I got this call, this request on Facebook for a friend. She's a beautiful woman in a sari, really good looking. And she wanted to be my friend. And to be honest with you, I thought, this seems really fishy. I don't know what she's (laughs) selling, but I'm not buying. But I kept looking at her picture, almost like I was getting a message from the great beyond, don't don't get rid of this so fast. Finally, I clicked on her name and I saw that she was a documentary filmmaker. And she was in this country from Malaysia, going to school on a Fulbright scholarship to make to learn filmmaking. And she needed for her school for her class to do a profile of a person doing something very unusual that was rare that hadn't been done before. So she found me And I decided I was going to help this young woman, you know, with her college education. She made the film. She submitted it to the Cannes Film Festival, and it won first prize there.
0: Wow. And got into
1: all these film festivals. I went to Portland, Oregon. I talked in front of audiences. And from that, there was even more interest. And then there was a documentary made from CBC Radio in Canada, which is absolutely brilliant and on my website susanslotnick.com i'm pretty sure the link to it is there but if not you can just well
0: yeah we'll 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 figure out the link and we'll put all that stuff on the show page everything Um,
1: but but anyway there was another documentary made and then people started to get in touch with me from all over the country that wanted to start dance programs in prisons yeah
0: yeah so has there been any other offshoot programs from yours uh, that you've helped get started in other prisons in other states?
1: Well, my assistant taught for a while. She's not teaching anymore. And another one of my former students went into a prison in New York State. But the reality is this is very difficult to do. Yeah. And also, for various reasons, volunteers are not often properly prepared for yeah dealing with the realities, which are that you can't go in there with a chip on your shoulder towards the corrections officers of the administration. If you wanna make change, you have to see the humanity in everybody. There are not such good people in prison incarcerated. There are not such good people in the administration. There are not such good people as uh, corrections officers. And the opposite is true in every one of those areas too. And you have to go in with that open mind yeah. So people need to be properly trained to go into volunteering. And,
0: uh, and you even said in your book, you said, I'm quoting from your book, there was so much I didn't know when I began prison work. And, and you know, I agree with that because me, me going back into the prisons was way different than me being in prison. <laughs> and so uh, there were some things that I couldn't do, wouldn't do, shouldn't do as a, as a prison volunteer that, uh, that I probably wouldn't have thought was you know too bad as a, as an inmate, but I, I I'm quoting from your book now, cause I want to talk about a few things in your book. You said there was so much I didn't know when I began prison work, but I held fast to the one thing I did know from direct experience, the power of the body to move in beautiful ways that, that, when I read that, it was just, it, 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 it got me in the heart. And then when you when I heard you talking just earlier about how it will reach the close, it will either open the heart or close it off. And I feel like what you do, you said by the time somebody volunteers for a dance class to dance in front of everybody in prison, they're already 95% rehabilitated. Do you feel like the dance gets that, addresses that other 5% that may Absolutely. be closed off?
1: Absolutely.
0: What, well, what is it like? Well,
1: there's a lot is, of re- I'm sorry, go ahead. No,
0: go ahead, no, you go ahead, go ahead.
1: There's a lot of research on male and female brains, which can sometimes be a bit of a problem in terms of the fact that now we have to be very careful about how we talk about gender, because there's so many more and gender's on a continuum. But I feel from my own personal experience, being married to the same man for 53 years, that men express emotion non-verbally, very well and women are able to articulate emotion so once you get the men dancing and expressing sadness, power, joy, uh, empathy, all of this through movement, their ability to express is uncanny and that was very surprising to me the first day I went in how quickly they took to this very very physical variety for showing yeah. how they felt, physical yeah. variety of movement.
0: So tell us some of the songs, the type of songs that you have them dance to.
1: Well, all, I, and, it, and has it
0: changed over the years? You've been doing it 25 years.
1: No, what, it had to, and it's the same kind of music I use everywhere. My, my father was an autistic savant who had a record store in New York city called Merritt music shop. And I grew up with 6,000 records in my house. Wow. And to me, when you rehearse a dance, that means they're going to hear the music literally thousands of times. So what's the message you want to give them? So if it's instrumental, I wanted to use music that was just breathtakingly sad or breathtakingly beautiful. And if it was a lyric that they were going to hear, I wanted the message to be very the message of the lyric to go into their brain thousands of times. So the two yeah. songs that I remember, I don't know if you're familiar with the song by Kim. Um, oh dear. I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, we danced to the boys choir of Harlem singing amazing grace. Okay. And we danced to music that would where the message in the lyrics would be deeply healing for them to listen to over and over again.
0: So even though, even though they volunteered to be there and they were already 95% rehabilitated just by virtue of being there, did you get to experience firsthand? I know you probably did. And I know, I, I think some of it's in your book, but tell us about experiencing that opening of that closed off area in their life. When they, when they, even though they're there and they want to be there, I assume that there's a moment or a song or some point in their dance journey that, I don't know, a moment of clarity, moment, an epiphany, something that kind of like, okay, there it is. You know, they crossed over from just moving to transforming.
1: The book is filled with so many examples of that. Men that said dancing changed their lives. Men that said mindfulness while dancing, being present changed their lives. One recurring observation that many men made in the adult prison as well as the prison in the boys prison was i forgot where i was when i was dancing so good i felt free in that moment when the class started i was no longer in prison i heard that dozens and dozens of times and some of that is also covered in the book some of their direct quotes of things they said and you do talk And you do
0: talk about That's fine. And you do talk about, uh, in the book, some of the things that they've experienced, the abuse they experienced. And then you, you do say you kind of, the quote that I'm looking at, it says dancing can wipe away disgrace and humiliation. And in that moment, recapture lost innocence. And that right there, man, if, if, if that's not enough reason to have what you do in every prison in the nation, I don't know what is. I really don't. And so.
1: Well, it's. I guess you're being polite not to mention what inspired that comment. So I'll mention it.
0: All right, because go ahead.
1: I was just a little girl at the time. <laughs> I was 18 years old and I was attracted to bad boys, as a lot of young girls are. And there was a bad boy in my school and I met him at the corner because my parents didn't want me to go out with him. And I got into a car, and at the end of the evening, I was raped by this young boy. He was my age. And there was no such thing as date rape in those days. Right. The it had the the term hadn't been coined yet. But when I came home, I danced all night. I didn't go to sleep that night. I crept downstairs, and I put on, I remember the song. I put on the drifter singing Some Kind of Wonderful, which is a great song of innocence. And I danced and I danced in the living room. And by morning, I had changed and I had processed what happened. Now, interestingly enough, it has been discovered that slow, controlled, beautiful movement to music releases the same exact chemicals in the brain that are released from antidepressant medication. So dancing literally changes your brain chemistry. So sometimes people would say, well, you got over being raped by dance. Isn't that a little absurd? But the reality is, is that dance changed my brain chemistry. I didn't consider myself a victim. I took some responsibility for having used bad judgment, although no one should ever hurt anybody for any reason, no right. matter what. Right. And as a result of that, the experience was not long lasting scar and I got through it through dancing. And that's what inspired that beautiful quote. Thank you for reading that.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's what you do for these guys too, because a lot of them, even though, even though what they're, what they may be in there for was either violent or maybe something similar, they went through, uh, a lot of them, you know, I have a transitional house and in the last nine years, we've served over 270 men. And I would say, quite a, quite a few of them were either verbally, physically, or sexually abused in childhood. And so, you know, for you to come in and and figure out what worked for you, and then you segue into using that to help these men, uh, is just, is just incredible. It's incredible. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about one time though, in your book, you, you, I'll just read you the part, You said, I showed ID and I was buzzed through a heavy door. This is kind of when you first got started, uh, then led to an auditorium. They arrived, the 15 boys who would volunteer to dance, eight African-Americans, six Hispanics, and one Caucasian. And then you have in parentheses, in the five years I spent working in that facility, uh, and in the 12 years I taught in adult men's prison, that demographic mix remained the same.
1: Yes, unfortunately.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Well, you know, I've been listening to what's going on in Washington today, and there was some talk about the fact that last summer, when there had been a peaceful demonstration at the White House, in front of the White House, in front of the Capitol last year, in response to the killing of George Floyd, that immediately... 250 or 300 people were arrested on the spot. And then with this last situation, Mm
0: -hmm. nobody
1: was arrested on the spot, even people carrying guns, even people breaking windows, property damage, nobody was arrested that day. And that is because we still have a terrible system of institutionalized racism in our country. So, What I've been told, and I know this is true, is that if these men could have afforded the kind of lawyers that white wealthy people can afford, most of them would never have been incarcerated in the first place, no matter what they did. And that's really what I can say. The quality of the people was amazing. They were certainly no worse than any other people, but we all know from the statistics that for the same drug offenses the same violent offenses it is in a completely unequal situation who goes to prison and who doesn't there was one man in the prison who was a very well educated korean man and boy he was a boy when he came in and they used to refer to him as a dolphin caught in a as a as a dolphin caught in a tuna net because he did not have the demographics the other men had. They said, you're an anomaly. Your father was rich, you came from Scarsdale. So even though he had been present for a murder and had, in our system, as you know, everybody gets charged if they're present for a crime, he had never even been in a fight in his life. He wound up in prison for 18 years. And all of the guys would say, you're the exception. Nobody like you comes in here unless it's an accident. So that's why there we have mostly black people in prison. They could not afford proper representation. And we have a system that is very unequal.
0: I agree. And I've, uh, unfortunately I've benefited from, uh, that same system because I believe because of my color and, uh, you know, when we have guys come to our transitional house, they apply from prison. I have five DWIs and I see a a black gentleman and a Hispanic gentleman applying to come to our transitional house. And they have the same five DWIs with no other drug offenses or anything. And they're doing 99 years, you know, and I did five, five years.
1: That's right.
0: And I I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any money to hire a lawyer or anything. So if I had the same court appointed attorney, they did. (laughs) But yet somehow, some way, you know, we know, we know what it is. And, um, but so many people want to pretend that it doesn't exist. And if, as long as you pretend something doesn't exist, it's not going to get fixed.
1: Exactly. It's
0: not going to get fixed. Exactly. So, you know, um, you know, I, I hate that, that, that new warden, you know, said that it's gay for these men to these boys to dance, you know, if he could have only seen the results you you were going to get in the adult prisons, you know, um, maybe, I don't know, but. Oh man, chapter 18 uh in your book, man, we're all wounded. And and again, I've seen I've seen this, I've seen the cycle of recidivism. The cycle of recidivism is the reason our our forgiven felons transitional house organization exists because I had two guys in prison mentoring me and they made parole and I was like, "All right, they're ready to go." And they were doing well. They were doing well in prison. And one went to a a state funded halfway house. And the other one went home to some drug and alcoholic family members. Mm. And both of them were back in prison before I made parole. Mm. And I thought to myself, man, they were mentoring me and I, and they didn't make it, how in the heck am I going to make it? And I was just, I was bound and determined. I said, I'm going to do whatever I can to open up my own transitional house and help as many of these guys as we can. You know, and I, and, and in the state of Texas, our recidivism rate is about 50% nationally. I know included, including state and federal, it's almost 80. I don't know what it is in New York, uh, New York. Is that where you were going into prisons? Yes. What, what's the recidivism rate in the state of New York? Do you know?
1: I really don't know exactly. So I don't want to predict.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but you know, in this, in the nine years we've been doing this, we've had, I think about a seven and a half percent recidivism rate. Um, because like you said, there's some people that are, are just going to belong there in prison that <laughs> they don't, they don't want to change. They don't want to do the right thing, but talk about chapter 18, um, a little bit and, you know, just a little bit, cause I, I want these people to hear enough about the book to leave them, um, you know, to go buy it, you know, and, Thank uh, you. because, but talk a little bit about what that, what that chapter meant to you, um, in your own words,
1: a prison, is an opportunity. It's not unlike, in some ways, being in a religious retreat, if you use it that way. There's tremendous time for introspection. Many people avail themselves of all the programming. They have great wishes for themselves. Right. They're not challenged like they will be on the outside. They have specific challenges inside the prison that they have to learn to overcome, but when they get out, everything changes. Right. So the first major disappointment I had was with a man who had been in my program the whole time. And also when he got out, he continued to dance and was part of a company that the men that got out formed called Figures in Flight Released. And they were performing, they even performed in the National Museum of Dance. Hmm. Anyway, when he got out, he got on Facebook right away. And Facebook is a danger for men recently released because they have restrictions, parole restrictions. They can't travel. But on Facebook, they can connect with every ex-girlfriend and every person that was in the gang with them in high school and everybody else. And they create a persona. And the persona that this man created was misogyny, was very sexual posts that were demeaning to women. Meanwhile, six women had friended him when he friended them because of my recommendation about who he was and his posts were pictures of women uh, men with their backs all scratched up and bleeding from rough sex he posted animals copulating he posted a lot of shaming of fat women and women that weren't beautiful and i confronted him because i knew him very well And I said, you can't do that. You have to take those posts down. You're representing formerly incarcerated people. And he said, you don't understand my sense of humor. And the relationship ended. I've since reconnected with him a bit, and I think he's doing better. Oh, good. that, That was very disappointing. Other disappointments were people that I felt very close to inside that after a while just ghosted me when I would reach out to them. And I understood that a bit. They wanted to put prison and everything to do with prison behind them. There was one man who went back, but he was on a violent offense. And he was a brilliant dancer. And I have worked with about a hundred professional level dancers on the outside. And this man was one of five people, I could count on one hand, with the best instincts for being directed in movement. Yeah. And he was brilliant. He went back to prison on a domestic violence charge. There was a, then there were several men who went back on parole violations, which is another can of worms because that's very easy to have that happen for people. And for the most part though, most of them are doing okay. I had one heartbreaking disappointment with a man I was very close to who I gave quite a bit of work to when he got out and he had been very attached to me inside. And when he got out and I was giving him all this work, I'm not going to go into the detail because I don't want him to, I don't want right. it to him to be recognized. But at one point he had said to me, you're paying me fine. I'm never going to raise my prices. And then all of a sudden he stopped wanting to talk to me when he was working and he didn't want to tell me how he was doing. And then he raised all the prices and that ended that relationship. It's all about what crystallizes in a person. Now, from the little bit of experience I'm having with you, I can see that your prison experience crystallized in you something remained permanent from it or you wouldn't be spending your time trying to do what you're doing you had an experience and just like any crystal the crystal starts out porous and it breaks apart easily and then there's heat and pressure and it becomes something that is in its final incarnation and it's beautiful and it's clear and it has facets that reflect light no matter what i did I couldn't be responsible for what crystallized in people. Yeah. So it was very humbling to see that I gave all these tools. And for some people, they're doing what you're doing. Some of the people in the dance program are still involved with helping other prisoners, many of the people, or helping the youth. And there were other people where, yes, they got it. Yes, it mattered to them. Yes, they meant what they said about dance and what they experienced. But it wasn't permanent in them when they got out. Does that make any sense to you? Oh yeah.
0: You know, yeah. Uh, especially when you when you talk about it from a faith standpoint, they call it prison religion, you know, and and that that it was only it was all a facade j- just until they got out. And I try to tell people, look, the decisions they make, that's the reason forgiven felons exist, is because I wanted the decision they made while they were still in prison to what you call crystallize, I wanted it to crystallize so that when they get out, they don't go back to their old ways. And that's that was very disheartening for me when I was still in prison and saw my mentors back in prison before I made parole. and And that motivated me to make sure I try to help on the outside, not only let what happened to me in prison crystallize, but help others when they get out keep that crystallization there because exactly. there's so many things, Facebook, social media, women, even the, even the wrong job can cause that decrystallization of, of, of the values that you tried to try to create while you were in prison. And, um, and it was hard for me too. When we first started this transitional house, Susan, the, one of the third guys we took in, uh, I had to kick him out. And three weeks later, he was all over the news. He had stabbed a 80 year old man in the neck and went back to prison for 50 years. And that was hard for me. I was only three guys in and helping these guys. And I was already ready to quit because of that. And, you know, my board members called me and they're like, are you okay? Don't, don't, don't measure what you do by this one guy. And how is that? How have you always been able to make sure you don't measure what you do by the by the people that get out and don't have it crystallized?
1: Well, at first, of course, I did feel like I had failed. On the other hand, the metaphor that I always use, which has helped me a lot and I think would also help anybody else in the helping professions, is what we do is we supply people with tools. And no matter how great the tools are, how inspiring we are, how charismatic, how compelling our desire is or our love for them is, we have given them tools. So I think of it as if I give you a set of tools to build a house, they're the greatest tools in the world. They mean the world to me. And you build the house. In the final analysis, who built the house? I didn't build it, you did. So we're not responsible for the second half of what we do. Right. We set before, it's almost like the biblical quotation, I set before you life and death. Who chooses? The Bible doesn't say, why don't you choose for the person? You know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I set before you life and death, choose life. These people have to choose. And some of them can and some of them don't have the skills and others don't have the discipline and some are just not trying. And there's yeah. a million different reasons why that man went back yeah. that you know and why the gentleman, the gentleman that I know that went back, he wasn't really, this is a, maybe a terrible thing to say but I've had a lot of guys say to me, I wasn't in prison 10 years when I started to really change myself. I needed eight years, 10 years. I didn't change. I was still in a gang. I was still taking drugs. So sometimes people have to be in the horrifying monastery conditions of a prison before they can change. And sometimes, you know, the the least recidivism I do know this in New York State, are men with violent crimes who've been in prison for more than 20 years. Very little recidivism rate on that population. And yet those are the ones we don't let out.
0: Yeah, because we think Which they're the monsters. makes no sense. I know, I know, and, and and I agree because everybody you just described that has that fit that profile that has come through our ministry um, has done well. They have done well, uh, but man, you know, just in the last year when they've been talking about the virus and prisons and 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 the just the talk of letting people go. So they can contain the virus in prison, the compassionate releases of the elderly that who have underlying conditions, letting them go. And just the outrage that I see from my own state, from, uh, from society in saying, you know, I can't believe you're going to let all these dangerous criminals go. And I'm like, wait a minute, read the article better. These are people that have already made parole that are within a year of getting out. They're going to be released anyway you weren't going to have outrage then so why are you having outrage now because they're going to they're going to be let go a few months earlier than they would have already been let go anyway and and i,
1: I well just, aside from the obvious racism involved in that because most yeah. prisons have a tremendously high population of this prisoner used to say to me, don't say black people. The correct term is people of color. This was David Navarro, who the one who died. Yeah. Every time it would come up in the class, he'd say, people of color. People of color is the right term. But I recently wrote from my newspaper column an article about vaccinating prisoners. And I got a letter to the editor disagreeing with vaccinating prisoners even though the prisoners are getting sick because the corrections officers aren't wearing masks. This is a known fact. So I wrote a rebuttal column, and I said, you don't want these people getting out? How about all the people that should be there who were white, committed the same crimes, and are walking around having never even paid the price, and you're not worried about them? There's thousands of them, people who should have been convicted and weren't. So there you have the whole differentiation again, between the populations of people who get, who commit crimes and don't go to prison and those who, many of whom shouldn't even be in prison and didn't even commit the crime.
0: Wow, and, and I wanna have some, uh, as many links as we can to some of your articles as well uh, on the show page. Uh, Susan, you're one of my newest heroes. <laughs> you're one of my newest heroes and I can't wait to finish the book. I'm actually gonna actually probably re- re- buy one from you and get it uh signed if you don't mind. Um I don't have
1: any. I'm you sorry. Don't? Oh no. But because of COVID, I didn't order any because I have no capacity to sell any right. from my house.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I gotcha. will
1: what I've been doing for people who've asked me to do that is I write something much more involved and send it to them to paste into their book.
0: There you go. All right. Well I we'll write do them that. a poem we'll or that. something like that. Well, thank you. Uh, so what's in the future for Susan? What, what What are you doing in the future? Obviously, you can't teach dance right now in prison, and, and they're not letting anybody in the Texas prisons right now. So what's what's well, the future for you look like?
1: The last population I worked with was with in the county jail, because now that I've written the book, I can't work in the state system anymore. Right, right. I was teaching art, because my degree is in oil painting. I was teaching the parenting class with the Osborne Society a little bit. I was teaching mindfulness, I was teaching dance, and I was teaching writing, (laughs) all in the state system with mostly white people who, white incarcerated people who were addicted to medications and had committed a crime. So it was an entirely different population. I did that right up until COVID. Okay. What's in store for me now? Well, I have two daughters who are pregnant.
0: And I'm very excited about that.
1: I'm still writing my column. I'm doing a lot of painting and showing some paintings in galleries. And also being on these podcasts, trying to spread the word.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, we are going to uh, post as many pictures as we can on our show page of paintings that you'll let us have and links to to your article and uh, also where they can get the book. And, uh, and, your, and your website. We're gonna have all your social media links, everything, uh, so they can connect with you uh, in a way. And then I'll spread the word as well on all my fellow podcasters that talk about these topics and see if we can't get you on some more uh, because-
1: I would love to be, to, as many people, many people need to know that the first thing they don't know is the quality of the human beings that are in prison. They're some of the best people I've ever known in my life. And people need to know that and get their stereotypes out of the way.
0: Yep. Yep. I I love the way uh, one of my friends who's in prison ministry says it. There's, there's not bad people in prison. There's, there's good people who made bad decisions, you know, and, uh, and unfortunately because of the party law, they call it the party law here in Texas, even the bad decision to hang around somebody or a group of people that commit a crime Uh, We had one guy come through here just last year. He got locked up as a 15-year-old who was hanging around some other 15 to 18-year-olds, and there was a person murdered. That's right. And Daniel got 60 years as a 15-year-old. Unbelievable. So from from 17 to 47, he did 30 years. He did, but he did the first two in juvenile and in the adult county. And so he did 32 years altogether because he because of who he hung around
1: what was his ethnicity
0: he was white and um and he but he was also a part uh in in texas they have a they have a program called the second look he was and what they do is they try to get second looks at all these young kids that were given these large sentences well, that's um, good and uh, and he was one of them i don't know if that's I Me mean, still did 30 years of that 60-year 60, 60 sentence. Um, but but I, well, I want to thank you. As somebody who used to be in prison and uh, I can appreciate what a volunteer has to sacrifice to go in. And there's only a handful that I know of that have been doing it for a long time and that did it for a long time. And so you did it for a long time. And I want to thank you and you don't do it for that long unless it's something that's in your heart and
1: something that's benefiting yourself.
0: Yep. And so thank you. Thank you for wanting to benefit yourself as well (laughs) as all the other people you've impacted. And I, for one salute you and admire you. And, uh, and everybody needs to read this book. I, I am, I'm going to push it as much as I can even. Thank
1: you. I appreciate it.
0: So I'm going to push it on social media as well. Um, but I'm gonna wait till I get a, an actual, an actual, uh, copy, copy. You, you, you kind of sent me some, you know, I'm going to wait till an actually the, the actual book part comes in. You know what I mean? So, uh, thank you so much again for coming on background check podcast and letting us do a background check on you and, uh, you know, background checks don't have to be negative. They can be positive. And, uh, and, and there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and just really learn to appreciate volunteers and what you do. And I can't wait for them to read the book. So thanks again and appreciate all you do.
1: Thank you very much. You're a delight to talk to.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. And thank, thank you, you for much.
1: thank you for you leaving prison with the desire to go back and make the world a better place.
0: Amen. Amen. I'm re- I'm ready to go back. I'm tired of not being in prison. Uh it's it's been a little over a year now. February 9th was the last time I was in a Texas prison. Wow. And um, those inmates, they need it. They need their family visitations. They need these volunteers coming back in.
1: And they need air I, conditioning.
0: Yes. And they need air conditioning too. So, all right. Thanks again. We'll see you later.
1: Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye.
0: Man, what a great interview. What a great story. Someone who something happened to them at a young age and they used something they were interested in to bring them out of the out of that darkness from that from that scar, from that traumatic incident, and turned it into something that impacted hundreds and thousands of men. Hey, listen, uh, the book is called Flight, The Dance of Freedom. Uh, you need to visit Sleuth, uh, her website. Okay, we have everything on the show page. Uh, we have pictures of her painting. We have the links to the video that I'm uh, watching right now, still watching. We have uh, everything on there from her. Some pictures of her, some uh, paintings like the ones that the paintings that she did that were inspired by her teaching the guys in prison. And if you want, to, like I said, everything that she talked about that uh, you know she broke some rules. <laughs> I'm sure she talks about that. I'm reading the book. I haven't got all the way through it yet, but um, it's a great book. And listen, we're gonna have her back on later in season two to talk about how you know becoming a volunteer in prison and why you, why you should how to do that and what to expect and all that. But man, she's a hero of mine, teaching dance to boys and men in prisons, in, in New York prisons for 25 years. Um, I, I appreciate all she's done. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the uh, the conversation that we had. Again, go to the show page to see videos, links to videos, uh, paintings, everything. At forgivenfelons.org and then just click on Background Check Podcast and you'll you'll get to see... Everything about her. All right, let's pray for her before we go. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Susan, her husband uh, as well, and her family, Lord, uh, the, the new grandkids coming. Lord, we thank you for blessing that family. We pray that you pour back into her in, in this part of her life, pour back into her all the time, all the all the seeds that were sown by her for 25 years, pour back into her life, into her family, everything they need from this point on. Give her uh, exposure for more documentaries. Bring her to the front line to to just talk about what she did and how um, how more of it needs to be done. So, Father, thanks again for Susan, the opportunity to get to talk to her, and just be with her and her family and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks again for listening. We'll see you on next week's Episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm JD Gum and this has been Background Check.